Hello, and welcome back to Suite 212, putting the arts in their social, cultural, political and historical context here on Resonance 104.4 FM, still London's best and brightest radio station after more than 20 years. I'm your host, Juliet Jakes, welcoming you to the first episode of the third series of what is now a monthly show. Today, we're talking about the arts in Belarus under President Alexander Lukashenko, who has been in power since 1994 and is often referred to as Europe's last dictator. As many of our listeners will know, there were widespread protests in Minsk, the capital of Belarus, and elsewhere after Lukashenko called an election for the 9th of August, of which he was declared the winner with 80% of the vote, a result widely thought to be fraudulent. Along with several of Lukashenko's opponents, thousands of protesters were detained by state police, many of whom were beaten and tortured. These have included a number of writers, artists and other cultural figures who were involved with the protests and in many cases have been working in opposition to the Lukashenko regime for a long time before this summer. Joining me today to discuss the role of the artistic community in Belarus and the arts in the country since it became independent from the Soviet Union are two representatives from the Belarus Free Theatre, which was formed in 2004 and forced to operate underground after its inaugural performance in 2005 of Sarah Kane's play 448 Psychosis led to their being blacklisted by the government in a country where only state-sanctioned theatre is allowed. Their main base is now in London, but they retain a 12-person ensemble in Minsk. Despite constant surveillance and raids on performances, during which audience members have been arrested, the Belarus Free Theatre have performed 46 new productions in 40 countries over the last 15 years, on themes ranging from trans rights to the death penalty, which remains in place in Belarus, and they have continued to release work online amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. Natalia Caliada is the co-founding artistic director of the Belarus Free Theatre and an award-winning theatre maker, writer and director. Based in London since 2011 after being forced to leave Minsk, Natalia is also a diplomat and human rights campaigner and started the global artistic campaign Free Belarus, which received the support of playwrights Václav Havel, Harold Pinter and Tom Stoppard, amongst others. In 2000-2001, the US State Department gave her two meritorious honour awards for personal bravery and courage. Svetlana Sagako is a co-managing company director of the Belarus Free Theatre, running its day-to-day operations with her partner Nadezhda Brodskaya and is based in Minsk. She joined in 2005 as an administrator and assistant director, also performing with the ensemble on occasion. She's also a musician and songwriter, formerly in the Belarusian band Tarpak. In 2006, she was jailed for seven days for shouting the anti-state slogan Long Live Belarus at a protest following previous highly disputed presidential elections. She was arrested again during the protests in August, this time for 10 days, but she's available to speak to us via Skype today. So, Natalia and Svetlana, thanks for joining us and welcome to Suite 212. Happy to be with you. Hello, everyone. Hello. Thanks for being here, both of you. I'll bring you back into the conversation in a minute, but before we launch into that, I want to give some background for listeners who might not be familiar with the history of Belarus since its independence. So Lukashenko was a former state farm director who'd served in the Soviet army. But when there were presidential elections in 1994, he campaigned as an independent and indeed was elected in opposition to the old communist regime. After winning the vote, he kept much of the Belarusian industry in state hands and retained a lot of the Soviet symbolism, with the country's flag and coat of arms being closely based on that of the Belarusian Soviet Socialist Republic. 
He presented himself as a bringer of order and stability, forming a political union with Russia amidst the realignment that came after the Cold War, using a referendum in 1995 to secure this. Unlike in Russia or Ukraine, Lukashenko wanted to ensure that oligarchs didn't emerge, in part because he saw them as a threat to his own power. Another referendum in November 1996 changed the constitution, allowing him to choose a more loyal parliament, with victory secured by bringing the country's media largely under his control. The United States and the European Union did not accept this result as legitimate. Lukashenko was re-elected in 2001, two years later than scheduled due to the constitutional change, with more than 75% of the vote, in a process that the Organisation for Security and Cooperation in Europe said failed to meet international standards. In 2004, he held another referendum to abolish presidential term limits, winning with 79% of the vote, amid concerns about the pre-marking of ballots and other electoral malpractice. Belarus had grown economically under Lukashenko's leadership, largely due to its importing Russian crude oil, refining it and selling it to other European countries at a profit. Lukashenko confirmed his plans to stand again in 2006 against a backdrop of revolutions in Georgia, as well as in Ukraine and Kyrgyzstan, both of which were covered in our Sweet 212 Extra Strand. This time he was against three other candidates, with most of the opposition rallying around Alexander Milinkovich, who he officially beat with 84% of the vote in a climate of voter intimidation and suppression of independent voices. Lukashenko later claimed that he would massaged this margin down to satisfy Western observers. Thousands protested in Minsk, with the riot police arresting hundreds, who were sentenced to between 5 and 15 days in prison. He was re-elected again in 2010, again winning nearly 80% of the vote after seven opposition candidates were arrested. Another election in 2015 produced a similar result and was similarly condemned by independent observers. He fired his prime minister in 2018 after a corruption scandal and has since resumed limited diplomatic relationships with EU leaders, but most notably with Hungary's far-right president Viktor Orban, who called for the EU sanctions on Belarus to end. Lukashenko also visited Russia during the COVID-19 pandemic, the handling of which in Belarus was widely condemned. Refusing to introduce a lockdown or quarantine, Lukashenko told people to get back to their tractors and said that the coronavirus could be treated with vodka, with grassroots networks being left to collect money and PPE for medical staff. So it was against this backdrop that Lukashenko called another election for the 9th of August 2020. The main opposition candidate, Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, ran in place of her imprisoned husband and focused her campaign on the need for free and fair elections, rather than on Belarusian nationalism or the country's relationships with Russia or the European Union. Yet again, Lukashenko declared victory with 80% of the vote. Tikhanovskaya disputed this, claiming 60-70% of the vote in a contest that was held without notable independent observers with internet blackouts. As hundreds of thousands of people staged demonstrations in Minsk, organised by social media, and protests began around corruption, poverty and low pay, Tikhanovskaya fled to Lithuania and Poland, where she formed a coordination council to work towards a peaceful resolution to the crisis. Many council members were arrested and exiled, including the lawyer Maxim Znak, who worked for the jailed presidential candidate Viktor Babariko, and Babariko's campaign manager, musician and activist Maria Kolesnikava. Journalists were also stripped of accreditation on the advice of the counter-terrorism unit or detained in Minsk, while the EU demanded the release of all political prisoners, threatened to impose sanctions and withdrew recognition of Lukashenko as the country's president. While in Belarus, the author Svetlana Alexievich, who won the Nobel Prize in 2015, was subject to criminal investigation, accusing her of undermining national security. 
She asked supporters to her house after masked men tried to break in, and she was harassed with door knocks and phone calls. She's now in Germany. After all of this, Lukashenko was formally inaugurated for his sixth presidential term on the 23rd of September, and he remains in power, uh, rather ominously telling crowds that there would not be another election, he said, until you kill me. So we'll come back to that statement and the protests and what might happen next later in the show. Um, But for now, I want to go back over Lukashenko's time as president from the 90s and what this has meant for the arts in Belarus. There was a tightening repression throughout the 2000s and young people often left the country, often to Russia, with which Belarus had quite close ties. And there was very little cultural funding under Lukashenko. A few foreign organisations like the Goethe Institute in Minsk financially supported some cooperative projects or let artists use their facilities. But Belarus was not represented at the Venice Biennale for a long time. So artists sometimes organised a secret pavilion in Minsk at a private gallery full of political work. And of course, it was during the mid 2000s that the Belarus Free Theatre was formed. So maybe, Natalia, I'd like to start with you. Could you tell me something about how the Free Theatre came to be formed and the conversations that led to that? I remember it was September of 2004 uh, when we got together with our friends and uh, brainstorming what it means to have uh, free Belarus. And uh, of course, there were different ideas, but very simple ideas. We've been talking about free music, history, philosophy, uh, and theater came out. And it was just that clear understanding of what it means to have free Belarus. It's uh, when uh, all professions and when all layers of society have to be free from censorship. And we continued to drill into that idea, and we were lucky that my husband got uh, royalties uh, for his play that is called Here I Am. It's almost our statement to say that, and here I am, uh, with the Belarus Free Theater. And uh, we established the company, but the word established, uh, it's very big one. Uh, because we had the press conference uh, and we announced our existence and we said that we will be having readings, uh, shows, we will start with alternative system of education because it was necessary to completely change the system of education that was very deeply rooted into the Soviet education. And we just go underground because uh, underground is much uh, bigger and wider and deeper and they will need to look for us uh, for longer uh, than we stay on the surface. So this is how it was uh, started. Uh, we didn't have any venue. Nothing was uh, at place. Uh, we only have royalties of Nikolai for his play, uh, my brother personal financial support. And then we had a meeting with uh, our future partner, Vladimir Sherbin, who uh, started to direct uh, uh, shows for Belarus Free Theatre for many years, and uh, only two and a half uh, years ago, our passes went uh, different ways, and he established his own uh, company. What led to that? Uh, it was uh, a long story uh, that goes into 1991, when the Soviet Union got collapsed finally when uh, the communist idea uh, was almost uh, destroyed uh, in uh, people's minds, what was great. Uh, I don't like to hear in the UK 
When I hear about the Russian Revolution and when I hear the phrase that you taught us freedom and liberty, uh, that moment it becomes very painful for me because my family was killed because of that communist uh, liberty that killed lots of people. But I think it will be another conversation that we will have with you separately on uh, left-wing policy in the UK and uh, communism in the Soviet Union and how it's linked together. But here we're talking now about Belarus Free Theater and ground why we got established. So from 1991 to 1994, it was a golden renaissance age when everything started to bloom in the country after the Soviet Union collapsed. Uh, business people started to support arts, and it was the most amazing momentum, uh, one of the most unique momentums in the contemporary history of Belarus. Uh, and uh, they were people, including my brother, who've been supporting chamber orchestra uh, that been flying all over the world. And suddenly everything got collapsed, like everything got collapsed because Lukashenko came to power. And uh, since that moment when he got to power, it was very clear. I mean, it was clear before he got to power, but it started to develop right away when he got to power. So philosophers, historians started to be removed from books and uh, children were not allowed to learn real history. The only Belarusian Lyceum uh, been prohibited and uh, been conducting classes in the same conditions as Belarus received the performs. And uh, the only contemporary art gallery that my husband uh, led, he was the owner of that uh, contemporary art gallery got closed down. So it was uh, slowly and, but then not slowly, but very firmly destruction of the arts and culture and history and philosophy and destroying completely nation self-identification. Right. And obviously the, the theatre was founded in response to that and, as you said, had to operate underground. So it'd be interesting to hear from you and maybe Svetlana, you'd like to come in here about what some of the practices were in terms of organising performances, campaigns and your Fort in Brass student programme and how you sort of directed programmes and maybe how you had to adapt some of these practices in the first few years of the theatre's existence. Uh, I'll just quickly start and Svetlana will continue with uh, all uh, practices because what is very interesting that the company is 15 years this uh, year, but it existed underground uh, in presence of uh, me, Nikolai, and Vladimir only five years. And the last 10 years, uh, daily operations are managed by Svetlana and Nadia. But when we only started, it was very old, conventional, I would say even funny way, but uh, in reality, it was uh, guerrilla marketing when uh, Nicola and me, we will publish, print out at our uh, announcement, want to start study alternative education and uh, learn from Belarus Free Theatre, hear our phone numbers, and it will be done uh, kind of in a way of uh, very old Soviet, when you will see like that phone number hanging, and there will be 10 of them. 
and uh, you go to uh, uh, university. This is where we went. Uh, and Nikolai will go to male toilets. I'll go to female toilets. And from inside of the cabin, uh, we will glue that information in order for people um, to start to give us cold. And uh, word of mouth, it was one specific cafe that is called London. And uh, the owner of that cafe was our friend. And we will come to him and he will pass to his clients uh, that information as well. This is how we started. Uh, and then it got developed and Sveta will definitely update all of us. Our system not uh, changed very, uh, very much. It's still, uh, we continue to make it funny, how you said, Natalia, funny way. We just give some advertising on social media about our performances and also about our education uh, studio. And uh, from 12 actors, uh, which is uh, in Minsk now, I will say that half of them from Fortinbra studio. So we kind of growing people for ourselves. Well, I mean, for doing theater and for doing arts and doing actions on streets, because uh, Belarus Free Theater is... It's not only about plays, not only about theater, but it's also about campaigns and uh, actions uh, and human rights uh, things. So it's kind of a big company now, which is uh, which is together. We are together not because we like so many theater, but because we like uh, to tell the truth for ourselves at first. Yeah, that's kind of it, uh, what it is, Belarus Free Theatre now. Yeah, and the student program trains students for a, up to a year, sometimes six days a week in acting and voice work and physical skills. But they also learn how to run campaigns and do protests and engage in some civic journalism. So maybe we could talk about how you find those people and also how you find your audiences and how much overlap there is between the audiences and the participants. In terms of students, it's uh, an open call. Uh, and then uh, when we have uh, interviews with them, we don't ask them uh, to sing or to dance. Uh, we ask them to talk with us. And it's uh, the major criteria how we understand whether these are those people who are ready for Belarus Free Theatre. And also we terribly scare them off, like very badly, harshly, saying that, you know, uh, you need to understand if you want to be part of Belarus Free Theatre, you need to be prepared that uh, you will lose your education, you will lose your job. And maybe even your parents will be approached by KGB and maybe they will lose their jobs. For example, it happened with my father, who was vice chancellor of the only Academy of Arts, but uh, he was told that his children are disgrace for the country and his disgrace uh, for the Academy of Arts. And he was the person who moved uh, or majority of subjects, 65% into the Belarusian language that was completely prohibited at uh, those days. So it's uh, absolutely different ways of repressions that will move uh, not only losing education and job, but uh, you need to be prepared that uh, you will uh, beaten up, get arrested, go to jail. And uh, this is how we talk uh, with our potential students and uh, those who are 
interested in that type of uh, creative adventure uh, that is uh, built up to change the world. It's a very big, big word, but at least to change one life or a group uh, life or society. Uh, and uh, they stay with us. Uh, but as Svetlana said, we are terribly selfish people. Uh, and uh, we are educating and raising them for Belarus Reset. And this is what we tell them. Because our method is very um, emotionally and physically and psychologically uh, exhausting. Uh, you need to immerse so deeply into yourself and so deeply into the world uh, that you really need to be ready for those challenges. And you really need to be ready to overcome your own boundaries, uh, your mental boundaries, your physical boundaries. And people stay, people go. We give two-year education. Uh, it is done for charge because we have that uh, principled position while Belarus is under dictatorship, we will do it for free because our major uh, mission is to educate and uh, for art and education to be accessible. Uh, and when we take down dictator, then uh, we will start to work as a registered theater and it will possibility to bring uh, income uh, to the company within Belarus. For, for now, it doesn't exist, obviously. One of the things I'd like to talk about before we move on to some of the specific works you've done was the global campaign for Free Belarus that you started in 2007. So you could maybe tell us about who supported that campaign and the launch? Oh, 2007 uh, was uh, that year when we got arrested already together with our audience as a result of the launch. But the company was prohibited from the very first day of its existence, and it was a prohibition on uh, Nikolai and uh, my uh, names. Uh, so it was about not what we do, uh, but who we are. But in 2007, we started the campaign uh, uh, Free Belarus, and uh, it was supported by uh, uh, Sir Tom Stoppard, who came to Belarus in 2005 and uh, became our very close friend and life patron, and President Václav Havel, who was also our life patron. And um, with the help of uh, Václav Havel and Tom Stoppard, they uh, got in touch with Mick Jagger. And we met with uh, Mick uh, in Warsaw during the tour, and we asked him, as well as Tom Stoppard and Václav Havel, to record the video appealed to people of Belarus. It was very simple, uh, and um, he said, I wish uh, to people of Belarus freedom of assembly, and I'll come and play satisfaction when dictatorship is down. And he ended up saying, long live Belarus, živi Belarus. And uh, the website uh, where that information was put on uh, collapsed uh, because so many people uh, started to go uh, and get that message of support and sent to each other. And that was absolutely incredible moment when you understand that a simple message of artistic solidarity is much stronger than hundreds of political statements that are able to say only we condemn. And Okay, so on, and what else after we condemn? But here it was a very clear message. Freedom on assembly. I'll play satisfaction when dictatorship is over. 
and we will be with you. Uh, and uh, Belarusian authorities uh, got into panic mode. I mean, it was mind-blowing momentum that uh, drove dictator into real panic uh, that he understood if Mick Jagger said that he will come and play satisfaction when dictatorship is over, probably dictatorship will be over. Unfortunately, it didn't happen for so many years and he is still uh, there. Um, and as a result of it, um, it was uh, one specific evening. Uh, we've been opening the show uh, with uh, by Edward Bond uh, Eleven West, uh, again, like British uh, playwright. And we are in troubles all the time of British playwrights. First, it was Sarah Kane with 448 Psychosis. Uh, then it was Mark Ravenhill. Then it was uh, Edward Bond. Uh, than Harold Pinter. So it's very interesting to observe how Belarusian authorities are afraid of uh, British playwrights who are able to tell the truth. And um, that was that momentum when Nikolai said to the audience, enjoy the show. And KGB, riot police and district police entered the room. And the whole audience saw that it's a part of the show. But it was arrest of the whole audience, including uh, small kids, pregnant women and foreign citizens. So round about this time that you're talking about, Belarus got a new cultural minister who was Pavel Latushko, who I think had some background in theatre. Um, I've seen him described as taking a slightly more liberal approach. So what changed and how much with Latushko taking over? Yeah, it's an interesting and complex question, uh, I would say, uh, that uh, with Pavel Latushka, it's the situation when he was Minister of Culture, but somehow at that particular time, uh, Belarus Free Theatre wasn't uh, still registered, and uh, there were uh, a number of repressions uh, and of course, like I'm not saying that it was Pavel Latushka who organized a specific operation uh, and saying that uh, I was a leader of Scientology sect uh, and it was uh, the whole KGB operation. And we know it uh, uh, from that particular side, but it was exactly that particular year, uh, 2009. But in terms of uh, his time when he was Minister of Culture, uh, we... Uh, came to perform with King Lear uh, to London uh, to open uh, cultural uh, Olympics when London had uh, Olympic Games and uh, Belarusian ambassador arrived uh, to the globe to say that uh, the show shouldn't be uh, presented and Belarus Free Theatre cannot represent Belarus uh, like we are with artistic director of the globe uh, who uh, said to Belarusian ambassador that um, can the British government doesn't tell us what to do. So obviously your government uh, that is outlawed will not tell us. So we advise you go and watch Belarus Theatre shows, but you will not manage to prohibit us from Belarus Theatre to perform. Uh, there were a number of provocations from the embassy when we performed... Uh, Minsk 2011 flight to Kathy Acker, uh, and Kathy Acker is a great uh, American author uh, who wrote about uh, 
time of New York in 1979, as a reply, uh, we created the show directed by Vladimir Sherbin, Minsk 2011, that was uh, about the situation in Minsk after elections of 2010, when the fear was very similar to what was happening in 1979 in New York. Uh, so that was that um, there were years when uh, he was Minister of Culture and uh, it and uh, we were we still continue to be uh, we're still the only company in Europe uh, banned by its own government uh, based on political reasons. But of course, it is a great question to ask uh, Pavel when he uh, got on uh, the side of uh, I would say democratic uh, protest when people went against uh, the violence in August, uh, and when he said that I'm not dealing with politics. So my question, but what did you do for 26 years when you've been press secretary of Lukashenko, when you've been ambassador to Poland and France, when you presented interest uh, of the regime? So I, I don't know any other words, but it means you do politics. Another question, and why I don't like uh, those questions about uh, Latushka, because uh, currently uh, our major aim is to take dicta dictator down. And uh, I really uh, um, uh, don't like uh, kind of to discuss this type of questions based exactly because of this reason that uh, we might have completely different views on life and uh, morality and humanity and what politics means and what it doesn't. Uh, but the first priority for us is uh, to take dictator down. And when uh, he is out, hopefully getting on a jet and flying somewhere into Dubai, uh, to enjoy his life there, because Dubai just recently accepted uh, Spanish king, so maybe they will have a great company of uh, major human rights abusers and join Dubai Sun. So it's it's exactly that particular thing that when he is out, uh, when there is no more dictator in Belarus, when uh, freedom comes to Belarus, when democracy comes, and when new free democratic elections take place, then I guess maybe we will have another evening with Pavel and discuss what was done wrongly and why it took 26 years for him to get on the side of people and morality and democracy. But for now, let him fight for democracy. Let him do that job. And... Uh, Hopefully it will help. We'll come back to him shortly. You're listening to um, Suite 212 here on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm your host, Juliet Jakes. And today I'm talking to Natalia and Svetlana from Belarus Free Theatre about the arts and protest in Belarus under the Lukashenko dictatorship. I haven't quite got as much time for this as I would maybe have liked because there's so much to cover, but it'd be nice to talk about maybe one of your productions in depth for the next few minutes or so. I thought maybe we could focus on Burning Doors and perhaps you could tell us what the concept was behind that show, how it was devised and, and so forth. 
Okay, so uh, Burning Doors, uh, it's our production about uh, political prisoners. Uh, it's our mix uh, uh, of documentary stories, what uh, usually we use for our uh, performances. We took some stories and make, uh, you know. So it's mix uh, uh, about uh, Pavel Pavlensky, who is... Um, uh, artist, Russian artist, uh, uh, who was put uh, in jail for his uh, art, and uh, about uh, Masha Alokhina, who is uh, uh, sing the song uh, in uh, church. Uh, she is from Pussy Riot, and she also was put in jail because of uh, her art. Uh, and uh, also, it's a story about. Uh, Oleg Sintsov, who is a Ukrainian uh, uh, filmmaker, and he was in jail in Russia uh, because of his art. So it's kind of uh, stories about people who are making art, and in some points, uh, uh, they uh, it's uh, the situation uh, very close to Belarus now. A lot of well, now a lot of people in Belarus. Uh, do, uh, it doesn't matter what are you doing now. Are you playing basketball, uh, for example? How uh, uh, what was happened now in in Belarus? It, it well, it doesn't matter uh, what are you doing now. You just uh, if you're going on street and make some noise, you know you definitely will go on jail. So uh, Burning Doors, it's uh, our uh, play. We uh, performed uh, a lot of country. Natalia will, uh, I'm sure, will let us uh, details. And we also make a campaign because in time when we created this show, Oleg Sinsov was still in jail. And uh, we made a campaign free since off, and we were asked people to uh, make some uh, steps to get him free. And we did it, actually. I think our, our influence is uh, very deep on this situation. Yeah, so uh, exactly uh, that particular piece uh, that is uh, so relevant uh, now. Uh, it is relevant... Uh, because uh, all those uh, repressions uh, continue, and uh, unfortunately, uh, it uh, doesn't get change on the Belarusian scale as well, of course, as Russian. That's why uh, non-stop, while currently uh, doing high-level advocacy work, uh, I say that uh, the only possibility for us to get rid of dictatorship in Eastern Europe and stabilize Europe uh, in general is to get rid of two of them, Lukashenko and Putin, because otherwise there will be no stability in the region at all. And there will be no stability for European democracy and beyond as well. And uh, that's major combination of art and major political message, uh, it's very important for us. And uh, with our shows, it's very important for us to use our actors' bodies, because Belarus we see it uh, never has uh, proper funding. You know, what the UK industry is facing now uh, within lockdown, uh, we have it uh, within all years of our existence, so it's not news for us that we could disappear. It's kind of daily existence of the company. 
And when we don't have that uh, financial support, so uh, we think what we have. First of all, we have us and we have our bodies. Uh, and uh, those bodies are much more appealing and uh, more visceral uh, than any costumes. And of course, as well, on top of it, uh, the whole team is ready to overcome uh, major challenges, as I mentioned before. And when we've been performing, uh, when we've been rehearsing Burning Doors, I remember when we worked on all extents of sin. And when you understand that, um, how is it possible uh, to immerse our audience into understanding uh, of what torture is and Nikolai gave uh, I would say we will call it like technical assignment uh, to try out with their bodies what it means when your body is not able to stand up anymore and uh, actors being uh, kind of pushing each other one actor was pushing another actor uh, and uh, the one who was uh, all the time down, he was resisting and standing up. And then it became a major metaphor in terms of the system could try to crack us down. Uh, but in the end, uh, we will crack the system. And that whole system, uh, the whole scene is going for 26 minutes, if I remember correctly. Maybe we'd made uh, 22. Uh, but it was that particular physical uh, real-time body exhaustion on stage uh, when uh, people when our audience watch it they understand these actors are not performing they really live on stage they uh, live through that uh, total immersion and uh, total um, presence uh, and uh, that moment when audience feels like like within six minutes there will be a reaction that audience will say okay like we got it like stop it uh, but then they continue to watch it because uh, those 26 minutes uh, become very clear for them uh, how terrible those uh, hours days weeks months uh, of tortures that are happening uh, with different people. Uh, and also, like with, Pavel, with Piotr Pavlensky, we've been trying to achieve, uh, as our choreography, choreographer Bridget Fiske uh, says, uh, kinesthetic empathy. Uh, when uh, existing body on stage is able to provoke you on, to critical thinking, uh, and uh, also when we create, uh, we will find mix of classical images. So, for example, in order to show how interrogator interrogated uh, Pyotr Pavlensky and how with incredible paintings of Egan Schiele. Uh, and it had uh, the most incredible influence. Um, and as well, Dostoevsky, uh, he was that... Uh, particular Russian writer who felt so relevant because we took piece of idiot uh, where Dostoevsky himself is talking about his personal experience when he was sentenced to a death row and it was changed uh, the last minute. 
because everything has to be based on that personal experience because the life is, is most interesting character on stage with who we work. Yeah, um, I'd like to move the conversation on now to um, this summer, the pandemic and the election and the protests. Um, obviously, I've already given uh, a fair amount of the background at the top of the show. But, you know, it's important to think about the COVID-19 pandemic and the lack of any quarantine or lockdown or any real preventative measures in a country that had already isolated itself to quite a large extent. You know, as we talked about before, the main opposition didn't brand themselves as nationalists and really centred around the demand for free and fair elections and for the release of political prisoners and an end to the violence against protesters. You know, as I've talked about, one of Lukashenko's rivals was Victor Babarico, who was a former chairman of Belgazprom Bank, who collected works by artists with Belarusian roots like Marc Chagall or Shaim Soutine. Um, and there was quite a lot of cultural response to the election and to the um, state, state repression that followed. So workers in major industries went on strike on the 13th of August. Um, there was quite effective factory resistance. 19 state media journalists and presenters resigned after the election 300 employees of the belarus radio and tv company went on strike along with employees of the national art museum who engaged in a peaceful protest and museum workers at the um Niazvi castle the unesco world heritage center in central belarus um also joining the protests was Pavel Latushko, we've talked about a bit, um, who had become head of the Yanka Kapala National Theatre and indeed got fired for joining the protests. Um, the cast of that theatre put out a statement calling for the release of political prisoners and end to the violence and a new election and the police blocked access to the theatre for several days. Um, actors and employees resigned from the theatre. Um, the artist Alexei Kuzmich did a performance outside a polling station with a card emblazoned with a penis on his chest, uh, and he was then arrested for doing a performance in front of the police on the 8th of August. Artists uh, issued a letter supporting uh, these calls for new elections and free information and right to peaceful assembly. There was a singing protest by the Minsk Philharmonic, and various other artists like designed posters or contributed in other ways. Um, so I'd like to ask now how the Belarus Free Theatre was affected by COVID-19 um, and maybe how some of your existing practices helped you through this period. Mm, I quickly start and Sveta will continue because it's her major uh, achievement uh, what uh, uh, she managed to create as broadcasting director with our show, A School for Fools. Uh, but uh, when we went into the UK lockdown, uh, straight away, uh, we sent the company into lockdown in Belarus, even though the whole fact of coronavirus was denied by uh, Lukashenko. And uh, I know that our existence uh, is always uh, under a huge question. But I think nothing could really have uh, an impact on Belarus Free Theatre. We will always find a way. Uh, I mean, there are two things that probably will make uh, us to disappear. It's uh, if we're physically killed or uh, when uh, for a long period of time there is no funding. Because, of course, like everyone has families and... Uh, 
everyone need to uh, feed families. Um, so it's kind of those two major reasons uh, why we could otherwise is scary for us. Uh, when the lockdown started, of course, it was scary for the whole globe uh, that uh, all of us will just simply disappear. But uh, it was very interesting to observe uh, that we started to get like hundreds of requests from European theaters uh, with one question how to exist and rehearse online. And I call it that we've been in lockdown for the last 10 years. So <laughs> we are doing that uh, for 10 years, all uh, rehearsals and uh, training uh, conferences online. So in terms of it, there was no uh, kind of shock for us. We just continued the way we continued. My husband said that but, oh, that's so great. Uh, there is lockdown. Finally, uh, you will not leave uh, at 8, 8 a.m. and to come back at 11 p.m. So you, you will be with me 24 hours. Uh, so that uh, was a positive moment uh, for him. But if uh, very seriously, Sveta will tell you um, uh, more about that uh, incredible uh, creative experiment that was organized uh, by Sveta and Pavel Gorodnitsky and together uh, with uh, our actors and uh, we're so proud of it. For the, uh, this COVID lockdown, uh, we uh, already have experience how to performance by Skype. Uh, because uh, our directors uh, outside of Minsk from 2011 and company were in Minsk and we still uh, uh, we need to create something together. So a uh, long time ago we will find a way and we did it by Skype. And now uh, uh, we understand that uh, okay now we kind of uh, in one city uh, the group is in one city, but we couldn't meet and uh, create the show. Uh, and uh, it was kind of um, the biggest problem was to believe uh, to believe to ourselves that uh, even in this situation we can create somehow. And we find the way. We this time we use Zoom uh, application, and uh, we create. So each uh, actors were sitting at home together with uh, husbands and with uh, uh, child, uh, kids. We uh, play live, pre-recorded. It's uh, live, the show is live. Uh, each time uh, we play it live, like uh, you just sitting in your house and moving some stuff and um, using uh, different, uh, I will not tell you the uh, the the whole secrets how we did it um, but uh, it works uh, uh, the um, set and props moving from one room to another room and uh, actors uh, kind of existing together in one um, uh, in in kind of in one uh, room but they are sitting uh, uh, on uh, at, at home you know so, and it was very interesting experience for us. We understand that, uh, okay, it's uh, it's nice uh, challenge for us. Uh, yeah, and I think we did it again. All our stuff, what are we doing? We're doing for ourselves, for, for fun, you know. Uh, we're kind of playing with this life. So, okay, let's have fun. We're sitting at home, why we couldn't 
create together. Uh, yeah, and I think it was very um, successful. Uh, the show is very good and how we did it, uh, I think we are the first company in the world who perform live show, theater performance live, uh, online, I mean. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, New yeah. York Times and The Guardian wrote about that, saying that only Belarus Free Theater could do that uh, such a pioneering uh, work. Yeah. So we're very modest, you know, <laughs> like people who come from Eastern Europe, very modest. <laughs> but if we don't praise ourselves, who will do it? <laughs> well, quite. Um, we've only got a few minutes left, but Svetlana, maybe we could talk a little bit about the um, the arrests and temporary imprisonment of free theatre members. Yes. Yeah. So in uh, 9th of August, it was our day... Uh, uh, election day, and uh, in this day, uh, I'm together with my partner, were arrested in uh, near the polling station. We came because the internet was uh, shut down for the whole country in this day, and we didn't know uh, what the results. And we came to polling station waiting for uh, these results put in on um, window, you know. And then uh, police came and grabbed uh, all, uh, everyone who was uh, there, and we were there as well. And next uh, five days we, was, uh, we spent in jail, and it was um, just hell. I, I don't have any other words, uh, words what can describe for what it was. Uh, so um, it was very um, hard uh, mentally, like the old screams. And, uh, we were sitting uh, 36 person in cell for four people, uh, and it was no not enough. It was no food, no water, uh, not enough even air because it was a very small uh, space and a lot of people. And window was uh, uh, open just a little bit. Uh, yeah, and we were trying, you know, kind of uh, breathe minimum, to breathe minimum, to keep uh, uh, air. Uh, yeah, and uh, it was hard. But also, I understand that uh, all my experience at BFT uh, was very helpful for this moment. For example, in our show Burning Doors, uh, there is a moment uh, which we describe how, how Masha Alokhina sitting in jail and it's it her story. So uh, it was one moment, one episode, what repeats and repeats again and again in jail. You have to uh, take your clothes uh, down. You have to stand naked before the one police uh, lady and sit, uh, sit, uh, sit down to uh, kind of, um, she should know that you don't have anything inside you. You don't bring anything inside the jail. So you should sit down uh, naked, you know? And it's kind of uh, just, uh, you just kind of sit, sit down, but it's very, uh, well, uncomfortable, I will say. And, uh, but because I saw this moment a lot of times, because we play in it in our shows, I was prepared for that, you know. So for me, it was just, okay, I know how it works, so I will just do it. 
for rest of women who were sitting at these times in uh, jail. And uh, we know that it was uh, thousands of people who were, uh, who were arrested these days. Uh, so for them, it was first time when they should do this, you know, and when what, what they see it and they kind of, uh, it's peaceful people who were just uh, walking in the street and now they should, uh, a new reality, you know, you you inside of jail for five days, but your reality. I hope that our reality is uh, will change very quick. Uh, we do uh, all what we can for that. Finally, in, I'm glad that we are not in jail now. But a lot of Belarusians and me together uh, ready for jail. You know, we kind of tired of this lie. So we're ready to spend some days in jail, but we want to, for this hell is finished. I guess that brings me to the end of the show. We've only got a couple of minutes left. You know, as I said earlier, Lukashenko has told uh, journalists and told crowds that he has no intention of stepping down. But, you know, it does feel to me like there is a rising protest movement against Lukashenko, uh, even if that has somewhat dropped out of Western media coverage in the last few weeks. So maybe you could just close the show just by talking for a minute or so um, about what you hope might happen next. Uh, Of course, uh, the main thing is uh, for people to continue to go and protest. But of course, it's uh, only people's uh, decision. If they feel it has to be done, they will continue. And based on what uh, I see, they will not stop. Uh, what is needed from the West, uh, it's nice that we've managed to put sanctions, but it's not enough. Uh, it's still soft diplomacy, and he doesn't understand soft diplomacy. It has to be a very clear uh, plan of transition that has to be organized under very hard pressure by democratic countries as uh, Germany, UK, uh, United States, even United States has its own uh, very complex uh, situation. It has to be very clear understanding. Uh, This is the only time window that we have uh, in order for Belarus uh, to become democratic. We will not have any other situation uh, like that in the future if jointly democratic countries will not stop Lukashenko and make him to step down. It has to be organized and then uh, we move into new phase and it will become the youngest democracy in Europe. Yeah, I will just add that uh, I... I don't know what should happen now, but I I definitely know that people will not stop without changing the power. We uh, going on street. We will continue to do it, and we will continue to fight for our human dignity. And now uh, Belarusian uh, believe in ourselves, and it's very powerful. And we know that uh, we already did it. Lukashenko is uh, already, we kill him already, even if his body is uh, alive. 
Yeah, well, we'll uh, we'll watch this space and uh, and wait with hope, but I'm sure that the protests will continue online and when and where it's safe to do so in person. Um, Natalia, Svetlana, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. Listeners, I've been your host, Juliet Jakes, here for Suite 212 on Resonance 104.4 FM. Uh, Thanks a lot for listening. We'll be back in the same time and the same place next month. Take care. Goodbye.